This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 663 with Amy Schlossberg. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 663. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Amy Schlossberg, PhD, is an associate professor of criminology and department chair at Fairleigh Dickinson University, where she teaches courses on wrongful conviction, offender reentry and reintegration, race and crime, penology, comparative justice systems, data analysis, and research methods. Her primary research focuses on miscarriages of justice the negative implications of incarceration and issues surrounding reentry, with an emphasis on policy and procedural reform. She's also the co-host of two podcasts, Women in Crime and Direct Appeal. Amy and I connected via Instagram where all the best relationships are born, and I immediately knew I wanted to have her on the show. The work she is doing in our criminal justice system is so important. And what's even more important is for all of us U.S. citizens to understand the way that our system works and repeatedly fails to work for so many individuals. I learned so much in this conversation, and I think that you will too. Listen in to hear Amy share how she got involved teaching people in prisons and why it lights her up, the impact of bringing her university students into her prison classrooms, what inspired her and her podcast co-hosts to create their show, Women in Crime, 
how women can be offenders and victims in our criminal justice system at the same time, her thoughts on whether or not our current criminal justice system works, how the culture of poverty impacts our criminal justice system, why people are wrongfully convicted and the role of bias in wrongful convictions, the problem with our present bail system, and why she has hope for our criminal justice system in spite of its current dysfunction. Oh, this was such a great episode. If you want to learn more about how to be a more informed and compassionate and empathetic citizen, this episode is for you. I learned so many things. I've actually been really interested in our criminal justice system for some time, and I've read some books on various things around wrongful convictions and exonerations. And so some of this was not totally new, but there was definitely some stuff in here that was very new to me. And hearing Amy's ideas and thoughts from her highly professional lens was just so helpful in helping me kind of clear some things up in my mind and also really helping me gain clarity on what's working, what's not working in our system and how we can all take responsibility for that. And at the very least, just be more empathetic citizens toward those who are within our system who are often there because of bias and discrimination, because let's be honest, like the rich people find a way out and the people of privilege find a way out and they can get through the system. The system is built really to hold back certain peoples and it's really systematically built that way. So I know you're going to learn a lot in this episode. It's juicy. It's full of goodness. And I'm just so incredibly grateful for Amy for showing up for this conversation and for sharing her expertise with us. So with all that, please join me in welcoming Amy Schlossberg to the Shameless Mom Academy. Amy, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm super excited to have you here. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. So I always like to tell people how I found my guests. So you popped into my DMs, I believe is how it started mm-hmm. and asked me a question and told me just like a bit about your show. And I was like, oh, hold on a minute. Will you please come on my show and talk about your show? So we're going to dig into some fun things today. I'm really excited. So I want to start with my first question. I always ask my guests, which I know you're a fan of the show. So, you know, the first question. <laughs> I am. Yes. I've been waiting for this question my entire life. So my first question, of course, is tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. All right. And yes, Sarah, I have been listening to your show. I want to say for about, uh, I don't know, five, four or five years. So yes, I know the question well, but all right. So I'm sure, you know, you hear this a lot because of the climate we're in, but I'm just excited for normality, you know, being back in the classroom being back in the prison, being back in the recording studio with my co-host, you know, for so long, everything was, you know, when you teach, it's so hard to have the energy and the passion on Zoom the way you do in the classroom. So I am just and I'm excited, believe it or not, to get back to my commute, because that's when I listen to all my podcasts. (laughs) I have a super long commute. So it's nice to just get back into the rhythm. And I feel like I'm at the point in my career where like all my passions are kind of merging and I'm doing a house renovation, which is just a crazy. Yeah. During COVID, not probably the best time to be doing something <laughs> like that. <laughs> oh my goodness. So you have a lot on your plate then. Yes. Okay. We have to back up for a second. So you said you're excited to be back in the classroom and back in the prisons. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure some ears perked up like, wait, what? <laughs> so <laughs> explain to folks, you know, we shared your bio at the top of the show, but explain to folks 
what that means, what the work you do for work and what that means for you to be back in the prison. Yeah. Sorry. I take it for granted that people just know what I'm talking about there. That's like when I text a friend, when I get out, Oh, just got out of prison. They're like, what? <laughs> exactly. um, so almost the last decade or so I've been teaching for this fantastic program that offers college classes to inmates in various correctional facilities in New Jersey. Mm. So I've taught about nine different courses. Most consistently, I teach research methods, data analysis, reentry and reintegration, race and crime. And these are individuals, most of them are lifers. And in New Jersey, a lifer is an individual who typically can go up for parole after 25 years, but that doesn't mean they're going to get parole. So everyone I'm working with is a long-term offender and I absolutely love it. I don't even have the words to explain it. I've said before that it is the thing in my life that perks me up the most, mm -hmm. but then my husband and my children feel like that's obnoxious. <laughs> so then I kind of say like, you know, professionally speaking, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than that work because the individuals that I meet inside are some of the most, they're just the most intelligent, you know, the amount of grace they have. They're just really wonderful, lovely people who really teach me much more than I could ever teach them. Mm. Can you share a little about how you got involved in that? And I would, I'll let you start with that. Mm -hmm. So how did you get involved with this work? I'm so intrigued and I love the passion that you have for it. So I've always had, since a very young age, I always had a sense of social justice and I would notice things and they would make me uncomfortable. So I've always been on that path towards working in that kind of field. I worked in the mental health field for a little bit, as I know you did as well. Yeah. I <laughs> I, I, some of the things you're saying, I'm like, this sounds like working in a psychiatric hospital in some ways. Like I'm seeing some parallels. It lit yes. me up for sure. It was incredible work. Yeah. And then I did a little work with substance abuse. And then I went to grad school for forensic psychology. And that's when I really got into a criminal justice system side of things. And I was working more on the direct care level as I was in mental health. And then I realized like, whoa, 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 this something needs to change here because this system is just this is not working. So yeah. I felt like I needed to do something on the systemic level. So then I went for my Ph.D. in criminal justice with a focus on really like policy. And, you know, I teach, but a lot of my research is policy driven. So it's really important to me that what I teach and what I write has a policy implication to it. It's not just there for the sake of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even answer your question. Okay. So <laughs> no, you should, well, go ahead. <laughs> so then I've always really wanted to, so I got a job as, you know, working at a university and I absolutely love working at the college level, but I always wanted to work in a prison. And then once I found out there was a college Rutgers university offers college in prison in New Jersey. And then once I heard that Rutgers was doing that, I was like, yep, I'm in. And oh, that was gosh. that. And I've had some classes where I bring my students from the university to learn alongside my students in the correctional facility. And that's magical. Oh my gosh. I'm curious, what are the lessons when you bring those two populations together? What kind of lessons do they learn from each other? I'm just imagining so much happens in there. So much happens. And it depends on the class that I'm teaching. Usually those classes will be like miscarriages of justice or something mm -hmm. that's really relevant because I want the students, it's like experiential learning where they're learning from yeah. doing. The part that, I find even more striking is that 
my students from what we call the outside. These students can go home and sit at the dinner table with their parents who don't support criminal justice reform Mm. and say, I met this lovely human being today. And although they may have done something at one point in their life, you know, people are redeemable. And that's the message. And I think once people sit down and they realize like, oh, you like peanut butter and jelly. I like peanut butter and jelly. Like, oh, we're both human. And, you know, people just bond over such, I guess we could consider simplistic things, but Mm -hmm. it's just the humanity of it. And I honestly believe if every human being in this country sat down and had a cup of coffee with someone who was in a correctional facility, our system would look very different. Oh, for sure. I actually have to say, So I have a bit of a sense of that for sure from working in a psychiatric hospital. And we have a lot of people who were in the psychiatric hospital also at different points in their life, whether they were teenagers or adults, also spent time in correctional facilities. (laughs) There's definitely a lot of overlap there. But I had such an appreciation watching Orange is the New Black for the way that they shared stories of individuals because the bringing in the humanity piece is so significant. And I feel like At first watching that, I feel like what drew people into that series initially was kind of like the voyeuristic point side of it. And then as you got watching stories and got to know character lines, it was like, it was very different than being voyeuristic. Like you saw the humanity of every single person and their story, and you could see the layers of every human in each experience, even if you were like, oh, I mean, yeah, they made a real awful choice, but like, I also adore them or respect them or empathize with them or, you know, sympathize with them. And I think that's so important. Yeah. And I think it's the same for students. I think a lot of students are like, oh, that sounds so cool. I want to do that. And, you know, I I only cherry pick about 10 students because I don't want people to go for the wrong reasons. But I think it's, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, it's human nature to be curious Mm -hmm. about what we don't know about. Yeah. So you can't blame people, but I think you're right. Similar to what you just explained, when students get inside there, it's no longer you know, us and them. It's like, we're just a bunch of people learning together. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is my students who are living, my students are living the life of what my other students are reading about in textbooks. So, you know, the inside students can very quickly dispel the myths in the textbooks on, you know, prison. So it's pretty cool. Oh, I bet. I bet. Talk about the bridge between your work and the podcast. So tell us a little bit about the podcast, maybe, and then kind of bridge them for us. Okay. So my dearest friend and colleague, Megan Sachs, she's my co-host, but she's also, she hired me at Fairleigh Dickinson where I teach and she teaches as well. And both of us do various work in, you know, correctional facilities. And this all started because we heard there was a woman who was in prison in New Jersey who claimed she was innocent. And we created a podcast called Direct Appeal, where we talk about we go through the whole case and kind of just play devil's advocate. Melanie, the woman who's incarcerated, she spoke to us from prison and she would, you know, give her side of the story. We would talk to independent experts and we would form our own opinions. And it was like a serialized podcast. After that, people were just writing in like, I want to hear more stories. I want to hear about this, you know, because we talked about theory a lot because we're criminologists. So from all of that, we said, you know what, let's just do a podcast called Women in Crime. And we cover cases where a woman is either the offender, the victim, often they're one in the same and or a trailblazer. So our podcast tells the story of an individual and then we kind of break it down. What theories can help us understand this, which means how can we prevent it from happening again? 
And also, did the system get it right? And that to me is one of the most important pieces because it's not black or white. It's not guilty or innocent. Justice is a continuum where we have to look Mm. at, you know, just because somebody was found guilty, that doesn't mean they're guilty. And even if they are, that doesn't mean that the system operated in the way it was supposed to operate. So we kind of, you know, look through all we kind of examine all of that. So it's almost like getting a casual education, our podcast. (laughs) I have so many follow. I'm like taking mad notes because I have so many follow-up questions. Okay. So you said something that I want to touch on. You said women can be offenders and victims, or you said often it's one and the same. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah. So it's not just women. It's a lot of the individuals that are in our correctional system are individuals who were victimized themselves. People who are victimized are more likely to offend. People who offend are more likely to become victimized. And it's this vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it really starts with you know, just the institutional, you know, racism, classism, sexism, all of the issues that we have in our society and not taking care of people in marginalized communities leads to kind of this domino effect and then this vicious cycle. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it was interesting working in a psychiatric hospital with a children's unit, an adolescent unit and an adult unit. And there was adults in that hospital who were like in their twenties, who had been in and out of that hospital and in and out of various levels of systems, whether it's the hospital psychiatric system or the criminal justice system or the foster care system, since they were like babies or four-year-olds or 12-year-olds. So like there is this element for sure that started in their youth and often with abuse. And then they, you could just see how their life unfolded as a result of those things and that they didn't have a fair start. Mm-hmm. And when you look back through those charts and some of these charts were a mile deep, you could see like, oh, it makes sense why this person is here. And even, and some of the repeat people that we would get over and over again, were so hard to work with because they were really resistant to treatment. I'm sure you see this in the prison system as well. Mm-hmm really resistant to treatment, didn't trust anyone with their care. And so it was sometimes hard to be compassionate, but when you start reading back files and you're like, oh, this is where they've been. This is what they've been through. This is like how the odds have been just stacked over and over against them. Then you can start to have a very different level of empathy for them and just connect a lot of dots that create a much bigger picture. And as I tell my students, and as we often say on the podcast, This isn't about making excuses for people or justifying bad behavior, because it is important that we acknowledge the victim in all of these situations as well. However, what people need to understand is that by not caring for individual in society, we're creating more offenders, thereby creating more victims. Right. So at the end of the day, it's you know, it's just about, you know, keeping everyone safe, public safety in general. And it's just about if we understand why people do the things they do, then we can try to intervene earlier in an individual's life to try to help them. Yeah, absolutely. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is 
around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. Okay, so you've mentioned that you've alluded to this already. I want to talk about the current system. So yeah, tell us a little bit about, do you think the system works? And then we're on video. So those of you listening can't see this, but like right away, she's like shaking her head like, no, no, no. So talk about that a little bit. I mean, yeah, that is a big, big no. And so I think that evidence that the system is broken is in the fact that we have nearly 2 million people behind bars and we have over 75% of individuals who leave prison are rearrested within five years. Mm. Now, to me, that's not a system that works. The purpose, there's various purposes of punishment. And I believe one of the main purposes of punishment should be rehabilitation. And our prisons, you know, people leave prison worse than when they got there. And again, that leads to, you know, recidivism, which, you know, leads to more victims in society. 
So our system is not working. It is targeting individuals who are vulnerable, who are from marginalized communities. You know, we have these draconian drug laws that are sweeping up, you know, minority communities by the handful. Mm -hmm. We have no support or I don't want to say no, but we have subpar support for individuals reentering into communities, you know, a lack of investment in, you know, like we were talking about a moment ago, just a lack of investment in certain communities and in education and, you know, investing in these communities to try to make, try to give individuals born into these disadvantaged areas a chance yeah, and, you know, not to have their fate determined, you know, just because of, you know, the class they were born into or the color of their skin. Right. One of the things I recall from, I, re- I noticed this in orange, this orange is the new black, but then also in, I know I'm not going to remember the name of the series. Did you watch the docu series about the central park five when they see us? Yes. Yeah. When they see us. <laughs> I mean the whole time I like couldn't watch it in one sitting because it was oh, so it heavy. Was so, so incredibly hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And so what happened at the end of that, which that whole entire story is just we could spend so much time just talking about that story, but the end of that story, these kids who went into the system as kids, and then were found out to be not guilty many years later, they're now full-fledged adults. They've never lived in the normal world, typical world as adults. And same thing we see in Orange is the New Black. You've been in the system for a long time. And then you get out. I'm putting this in air quotes, like you get out and it's supposed to be the celebration and you have like the outfit that you're wearing and maybe a loved one, maybe not. Who's going to pick you up and give you a ride. Like you have nothing. And so when you talk about like setting people up for success, I understand that it might seem weird to people to be like, Oh, this person committed a really horrible crime. Let's like give them a jump start to start over again. That might seem a little weird. And also if you don't give them a jump start like we know they're going to come back to the same place because they don't have the resources or the tools or the skills or the support system to actually build a life. You're right. And the label follows them. Yeah. Right. The stigma associated with, you know, having a criminal record, you know, and again, I'm not saying that, you know, there are some people that deserve that. There are some people that deserve to have that label because they're not safe and we need to keep, you know, our society safe. But the majority of people are not that. You know, so I think we need to recognize that if you don't help support people upon reentry, they're, you know, like I said, they're just going to recidivate and that's not helping anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, and I appreciate that you do want to bring it back to like, we want people to be safe and we want to make sure that like we're putting, you know, we're, we have these like guardrails up to make sure that like mm-hmm. society can be safe for everyone. But yeah, that we also like giving chances parallel to that. Wait, can you tell Sarah that I've gotten a little criticism for? (laughs) Oh, I was already, I was like, what emails am I going to get for this? Like, I'm sure I'll get some, but I also, it's a both and like, it's a both and. And I think, you know, there's not been like a lot of benefits of the last two years, but I think that one of the things we have seen in the last couple of years with the world, just being what it's been and having multiple uprisings globally on top of a pandemic globally, we, I think have become more capable of carrying two things at one time and being able to see that like these two things can coexist and we need to make space for both as humans. And I, so I'm, I feel like there's people have an increased ability for that. But yes, I'm sure you do get the hate mail. <laughs> um, but I don't care, to be honest. And uh, you know, like <laughs> I care about people's opinions. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to change my opinion just because it makes other people uncomfortable. Yeah. So 
and we probably have a similar stance on this. Sometimes rare occasions, <laughs> I will get a negative <laughs> review on iTunes and I'll see like, oh, I got a one-star review. Like, what's that about? And I'll go to look. And it always is some sort of reference to how I'm way too political and like too far left or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great. Like, if you don't appreciate that, like, I want to talk about racism on my show, this is probably not the right show for you. <laughs> and that's fine. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure that you get people where you're like, I get it. Mm-hmm. And like, this might not be the right spot for you. And yeah. And I think it's important to just hear both sides out. That's all. Yeah. This is yeah. my opinion. I want to hear your opinion. If you disagree with me, that makes for a better conversation, right? Like totally. that's the important thing. As long as we can listen to other people's opinions. Absolutely. You've mentioned the system really disproportionately punishing lower income people, people of color, people with fewer resources, people with less education. Can you talk a little bit about the intergenerational dynamic of that? Because this isn't like, it's not typically one generation that experiences this. It's many. Well, you know, there's what we call the culture of poverty. You know, it's intergenerational. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, what we're born into is, you know, it's very hard to get out of, you know, the class that you're born into. And not only that, you know, when you're little and you see the way your family and those around you are being treated and you develop a distrust for authority and, you know, all these things, I mean, the question you just asked is such like I teach a whole class on race and crime. And what you just said is pretty much like the thesis of that whole class. So I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I answer how do we this do a whole semester <laughs> in, in like three minutes? <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, it's you're very much right. It's very intergenerational. And, you know, until we do something to help support communities that need the support, it's just going to keep happening. I want to talk a little bit about people who are wrongfully convicted. So we talked about the Central Park Five, who were these five kids who got uh, wrongfully convicted when they were still very young teenagers, early in their teen years, some of them. I read a book in my 20s or 30, a long time ago, (laughs) way back when, but I read a book about wrongful convictions and just like the frequency of them. And I was blown away by how often wrongful convictions happen. And this isn't to say that it's like most convictions, but it's a decent number. And when you look at like, oh, but it only happens 1% of the time, but, or X amount of percentage, Mm -hmm. whatever that percentage is, what does that look like in terms of actual lives? And so (laughs) it's a lot of lives. And what I was really shocked by was it wasn't that like someone was wrongfully convicted and served six months. It was like people were wrongfully convicted and served 30 years, like lifetimes. And then had this conviction overturned and had the opportunity to go out and build a life. And there was like nowhere to even begin. So can you talk a little bit about (laughs) wrongful convictions and what your stance on that? Yeah. So that's my area of research and I'd say advocacy. The crazy thing is, Sarah, is we don't, it's like unknowable, right? So from the research, it's estimated between 2% and 10% of people in prison are innocent. Now, That doesn't sound like a high percent, but when you're talking about a system of over 2 million people, that is a lot. I mean, thousands of people losing their life, thousands of people. And, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we've even had people in this country be exonerated after they were already executed. Yeah, we have over 200 people who have been exonerated from death row. There's more than 3000 exonerations that we know of from the National Registry of Exonerations. The average time a wrongfully convicted person serves on average 12 to 15 years before exoneration, which is a lifetime. And those are the lucky ones. 
because yeah. individuals who don't have evidence that can be retested or don't have someone who recants their original testimony or, you know, any issue that brings something to the forefront. Most people are not lucky enough. They don't have someone advocating for them. And, you know, we don't know how many people are innocent. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Right. And we can only, you know, look at people that have been exonerated and extrapolate what we believe is mm-hmm. the number of people currently incarcerated who are wrongfully convicted. It's absolutely, you know, it talking to individuals who are exonerated is absolutely gut wrenching. You know, as you mentioned, when they're released, they're not given anything. Some people are lucky enough to get compensation, but that's not automatic. They have to go back into the court system. There's often restrictions on it. They often don't include social services, which sometimes are more important than financial compensation. Some people struggle with even getting their record expunged. I mean, it's a big mess. Yeah. I'm going to assume that I know your answer on this, but I'm going to ask. So what's the role of bias in wrongful convictions? (laughs) Amy's eyes just got like really big. And then there was like a hard eye roll. (laughs) No. So, so this is the thing. I think that bias is often unconscious. Mm -hmm. So we can't really measure the amount of bias going on, but you know, confirmation bias, this idea of tunnel vision, we see it again and again, where, you know, investigators will have a theory on what they believed happened And they only look at evidence that suits their theory and kind of ignore anything that goes counter to that. So, I mean, there's bias there when you have eyewitness identification mistakes. There's bias there, you know, um, false during, you know, interrogations where there's false confessions. There's bias there. There's bias by the jury. There's bias in the courtroom on both sides, prosecution and defense. Judges are biased. I mean, and people's bias is going to lead in the direction of their conscious or unconscious prejudice. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're working on a case right now. We're starting. We just actually finished production of direct appeal season two, which is an individual who, you know, he says he's innocent. He's been serving. I think he's now 15 years in. I don't want to give away what the case is, but in this case, the investigator, the first investigator on the scene made up the narrative of what he believed happened. And then every piece of evidence that did not fit that narrative was just never brought into trial. And he really only focused the investigation only focused on evidence that fit neatly into this little story that they told. This is so interesting because we are we're living in this information age where you can find evidence to support anything you want. And we're seeing this when it comes to science, vaccinations, politics, like anything. So I, this makes so much sense that an investigator or anyone in the system who works in the system would build a story based on maybe what they originally, like they just initially like gut instinct told them at the, when they started working on a case or around their whole bias, like it could be around, you know, if I come from a family of origin where a certain thing happened and I see something else happen, I might assume like, oh, that's probably just like what happened in my, you know, like all of a sudden we just start building a case in our head. Yeah. And, you know, people judge people's affect. You don't know how you're going to react when you're in a traumatic situation. Mm -hmm. The way people scrutinize 911 calls, for example, it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You sound too upset, you're acting. You don't sound upset enough, you don't care. It's like, Mm. you know, we've, you know, everyone has gotten so comfortable with just judging everything without having the facts. Mm -hmm. And it leads, you know, I think that leads down the path of miscarriages of justice, which 
again, miscarriages of justice aren't just wrongful convictions. You know, people get, you know, overcharged. You know, plea bargaining is a big mess. The bail system. I mean, I could go on for days. (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk just a little bit about the bail system? Because the bail system is really antiquated and discriminatory system from the very little that I know about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it criminalizes, you know, one's, you know, actually it, it criminalizes poverty, really. And can you um, explain what that means? Yeah, sure. So, you know, historically, because there's been some reform on the state level that have like, for example, New Jersey recently got rid of cash bail. So this isn't across the board, but in some states, if you can't afford bail, which a lot of people cannot afford bail, often mm-hmm. bail amounts are very high and people simply don't have the money because we know people who end up in the system are struggling financially already. So if you can't afford bail, then you're going to await trial in jail, pre-trial detention. Now, what that means is your children are taken away from you. You lose your house, you lose your job, and then you you are supposed to be innocent until proven guilty in our country. But to me, that's almost, you know, condemning someone by holding them pre-trial. I understand if somebody is a danger to the public or if someone's a flight risk, then we need to hold them before trial. I understand that. But I'm talking about situations where someone is not a danger to society, nor do they pose a flight risk. They just can't afford bail. They should not be held in pretrial detention. Yeah. And this isn't like holding them for a couple of days. This can be like long. What's like a, a range that someone might be held? For um, well, during COVID, I mean, we're seeing cases go, you know, two years now. Usually I'd say it's a year, give or take, obviously very dependent on many different factors. But yeah, because of COVID, you know, we have a right to a speedy trial in this country. But, you know, what that actually means is, you know, up for debate. Yeah. I have a friend who works with the U.S. attorney. One of my really good friends works at the U.S. attorney's office here in Seattle. And we were talking a while ago about cases during COVID. And she talked about the trauma of awaiting cases for on both sides, like because victims and victims who've had to be prepped multiple times because they think it's going to go to trial and then it doesn't because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So re-traumatizing a victim to prep them over and over again for cases. And then of course, then we have the perpetrators who are sitting there and again, like, are they targeting the right person and Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, really, really tricky. Is there a specific case or a kind of a case that keeps you committed to your work or motivated to stay in this work? This is not like warm, fuzzy, like coming home from work. Like I had a great day. This is heavy work. Well, I do come home and say I've had a great day because, <laughs> you know, it depends on what I'm doing now. That's why I have, you know, I have a few different jobs because I don't think I would be able to just teach in prison. That's too heavy. You know, just the podcast, that's probably too heavy, you know, but I have these other things sprinkled in. I do research and writing. I teach on campus. So I have these things. But as far as a specific type of case, I'm really I like cases that are not overly covered. And, you know, I like to give voice or I like to give a platform to cases that otherwise aren't heard because I'm sure you're well aware, Sarah, that, you know, based on your class and your race, you're going to get a different amount of attention if you're the victim of a crime. So I really like to highlight cases where the victim is, you know, from a marginalized community or was somebody that just wasn't seen as worthy of airtime, so to speak. I'm also so fascinated by these cases in which they could be 
a murder, an accident or a suicide. And there's a lot of those. So there's what have you ever heard of? No crime, wrongful convictions. No. So these are fascinating. So these are cases in which an individual was wrongfully convicted of a crime that never even happened. So, oh, my um, gosh. So I'll give you two examples. One example, a woman named Joanne Parks, we covered on the podcast. Um, She was convicted of murder of her young children. All of her children died in a house fire. And I believe and most people believe and she's going through the process of, you know, being cleared now is that it was actually an accidental fire, not arson. Okay. Another case when a woman was charged with the murder of her infant baby, and it turns out he had an undiagnosed heart condition and it was more like um, SIDS, a sudden death thing. But they said, you know, they had some medical experts who said, oh, no, she clearly shook the baby, like shaken baby syndrome, which is really junk science. Mm -hmm. So these cases in which somebody is held responsible for a case in which a person either took their own life or it was an accidental death. And to me, those are just because they're usually women are most likely to be found in that group. And it's usually for the death of a child. I was just going to say, I cannot, I mean, like I can barely even talk about the idea of losing a child Mm -hmm. and the idea of going through that as a mom, and then also facing the criminal justice system at the same time. Like I, I would not have a reason to live. Like I just cannot imagine. Yeah. And these women are some of, you know, the strongest people you'll ever meet because the fact that you're grieving such a tremendous loss and at the same time trying to fight for your freedom, you, you know, it's just those to me, those cases Mm -hmm. are, you know, yeah, I probably, because as a mother, you can like see yourself in them and it's just, it's so frightening. Yeah. And so sad. Yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Let's touch on mothering a little bit. So you also have two children. I do. I forgot about that. (laughs) On top of all the other things, teaching and podcasting and everything else. So talk a little bit about how does your work impact mothering for you or does it? Oh boy. (laughs) Yes. And I so relate to so many of the stories that you have on your podcast. And most recently, I even like wrote it down because I was like, oh my God, this is so true. Hold on. I have to find it. Bear with me a minute. Ah, oh, the have it all versus oh, the do it all. Yes. Like that was one of your more recent conversations. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that's so right. Because I really do have it all. I do, mm-hmm. but I also do it all. And it's like, yeah, I think ah. that was with my conversation with Rejma Sujani. Yes, who rec- was it was on, a recent one. I think it uh-huh. was this week. And yeah, she, we were both, we were like both enraged with this idea that like we were given this like on a silver look you can finally have it all like here's your silver platter of all of the things and also like the platter is like so full that like you can't even hold it up (laughs) and you're like no no, no." like dudes can have it all but they don't have to do it all like a whole bunch of other people do things for them (laughs) yeah it's crazy so how does your work impact mothering and Uh, what does that look like for you so it looks like a lot of guilt like a lot a lot of guilt but kind of shameless guilt in a way. (laughs) But, you know, I think that for me, it's very important. I have a daughter and a son. So for me, it's very important that my daughter sees that you can, quote, have it all in the sense that, you know, I'm there when I need to be, but Mm -hmm. I'm also not home a lot. Mm -hmm. I travel for work. I've been away for two weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't, of course, I feel guilty the whole time, but I'll do it again. And, It's important. And I know you feel the same way, but, you know, for particularly what I do, you know, it's important for my kids to have empathy and to show compassion. And I always try to teach them because, you know, they'll, as they're getting older, like are you teaching a prison? Why? Like, what's that? Why would you do that? And aren't you scared? And I love those questions because it teaches them like, number one, things are not always what they seem. You need to find out for yourself. Don't listen to other people. People might say prison scary, but Mm -hmm. for me, I went there myself and it's actually for me, it's not scary. It's actually quite the opposite. And really just, you know, teaching the children that like we need to fight for those who don't have a voice. We need to tell people stories that can't tell them themselves. And, you know, for my son, hopefully to, you know, grow up to be a man who, you know, understands that a woman can have a big career and she should have a big career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it helps that my, you know, I have a husband who's supportive and, you know, I think that obviously helps the dynamic as well, but yeah, there's a yeah. lot, a lot of guilt. <laughs> <laughs> How do you manage the guilt? Are you able to talk yourself through it? No, I really, I still struggle with it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on that point. 
But as I've mentioned, like it doesn't stop me. Yeah. Like I feel guilty, but I just keep taking on more things that take me away. You know, so I've kind of figured out, you know, like I'm really good at multitasking. Like I was at my son's basketball game with like a court transcript that I was going through (laughs) because I had a recording later that day. And like I find a way to be there. Mm kind of I'm kind of like half there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that any mom listening is like, oh yeah, I know what that means to be like 50% there. Like you're listening to your kid talk about a video game, but you're like writing an email in your head at the same oh my time. God. Sarah, I've even worn one earbud to listen to a podcast while like oh. playing with my kids and my hair's long. Oh. So I just cover it. So it's like, <laughs> I have totally done that driving my son when we're driving to our cabin, it's like a two hour drive. He can talk the whole way about nothing. And so I totally once recently like put in, I was like, I think I can like get away with like one earbud and like kind of, cause you literally just say like, uh-huh, uh-huh every 30 seconds. And he's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he's not really looking for a back and forth conversation. He's just looking to talk and talk and talk. So to I hear totally himself talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to say with the guilt, like as a bit of an invitation, and you've probably heard me talk about this before, yeah. but I have this belief that mom guilt is a social construct and like made up by the patriarchy that we've been trained that we should feel guilty. Now that doesn't make the guilt not real. Like we, it's mm-hmm. absolutely very real. But I think when I look at it in terms of a social construct that I have been conditioned to feel bad yes. for like being who I want to be and being and like showing up as big as possible, then I can shift the guilt a little bit. It doesn't mean that it's not there, but I can remind myself like, oh, but my son is seeing, and all the things that you just said, like my mm-hmm. child is seeing me do this. My child is seeing that this is what moms are capable of, or this is what women mm-hmm. are capable of, or mm-hmm. this is like, this is another way to lens through which to see the world. Like there's all these things that I can remind myself of when I kind of see this all through this lens of a social construct. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that I can also then, instead of carrying the guilt, I can like, put the guilt on the system and be like, screw you patriarchy. Like (laughs) I refuse to accept this guilt. And this actually came up a little bit. My son's in Catholic school and he like tried to shame me for sending meat in his lunch on Ash Wednesday or something, which I didn't know that, like, I don't know about these things, even though I went to Catholic schools for 16 years. I don't know when you're not allowed to have meat. Also, I don't believe that like, I'm like, whatever, like God and Jesus are going to still love you if you eat yeah. meat on any given day. Like, I, just, I don't believe in a God or Jesus who wouldn't. But anyway, so my son is telling me, he's like, yeah, you sent this meat and we, it was the wrong day. We're not supposed to have meat, blah, blah, blah. And I told him, I was like, that's like, you can carry that, but like, that's not, I'm not going to choose to carry that. I'm going to instead be annoyed that there's a system that's going to shame me that was created to shame me and created to like weaponize meat or like weaponize whatever the thing is. So as a mom, I'm like, I'm going to be mad that there's a system that's weaponized guilt or shame on moms. And then that helps me like in those moments, reject it a little bit. That's interesting. And then say like, I reject the guilt. Like I feel you guilt and I am actively rejecting. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying. It doesn't help that like every week it's like spirit week or like, oh my God, to make a leprechaun (laughs) trap. And I'm just like, who the hell has signed to make a leprechaun trap? I don't. (laughs) Yeah. So we're recording this on March 18th. So March 17th, we're recording this on St. Patrick's day (laughs) yesterday. I don't know. We're, are we Facebook friends? We will be if we're not, we need to be. So I put up a post yesterday on my personal Facebook page that was like, I was, it was a quote from Vinny who, and he was like, mom, the leprechaun's coming tonight. I wonder what he'll bring. And I was like, what? And then he came home from school. And he's like, we got to build a trap. And I was like, no, like I'm going to the store. What do you, I have to go grocery shopping and not for leprechaun gifts, like for food. 
<laughs> like mama is like making dinner. I was beside myself. And what was hilarious was the, the thread of moms who were like, oh, hell no on the leprechaun trap and gifts for like, no. And one mom just put in all caps, like we actively reject the leprechaun. We have standards in our household. And I was like, amen for those standards. <laughs> oh, it's so great. I love it. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> so good. Okay. Amy, I want to know in what way you are currently showing up as a shameless mom. Oh my gosh. Already um, so many. Yeah. I'll let you. You know what? I guess I'm always a hot mess. Like I'll show up, but like, I'm not going to like worry about what I look like doing it. You know, like I said, like I'll go to the basketball game. I'll be half there. You know, like my car is like the mess is, you know, I have like my podcasting work bag. I have my prison bag. I have my university bag. And like, I don't care. Like I need to do what I need to do to make this all work. And if that means like kind of being a mess and, you know, some days, like, well, a lot of days we have breakfast for dinner and like, that's okay. And we're going to keep having breakfast or dinner. And, you know, I try to always like admit my faults. We always do like the the rose thorn and bud Mm. thing before bed. And like, it's always important that like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, of course there's sometimes I don't share things that I did to fail, you know, but for the most times, like I'll tell them like, I did this today. And like, that wasn't great, but mm. I'll do this. Tell better. me, the, is that the bud? What's the bud? We do roses. And oh, I don't know about oh, the bud. Oh, the bud is the best part. The bud is what are you looking forward to? Oh, oh, yeah. I'm so excited to add that in. I love it because sometimes it'll be like, oh, I'm looking forward to playing Pokemon tomorrow. But other times it's like, I'm looking forward to seeing you after work tomorrow. And I'm like, oh my God, you are. I didn't know you cared. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. nice. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. And mine's always like, I'm looking forward to my coffee. Like now go to sleep. So I can- <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I forgot to ask you and we're tight on time, but if you could yes. give me, this is probably not a quick answer, but whatever summary you can give to this, do you have hope for our system? Yes, very much so. Okay, good. This is, uh, this yes. is a good place to end. Okay, I'm like, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I do because I think, you know, the newer generations are really interested in social justice issues. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, a lot of my students, a lot of my podcast listeners, you know, they care a lot about what's going on and they want to make change and they're action oriented and they want to know what they could do. And, you know, people are looking to make a change for the better. And I think a lot of areas of social justice. So yes, I am optimistic. I just hope I'm alive to see it change. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Oh my gosh, Amy, this has been amazing. I love this conversation and I could talk to you for so much longer. So you'll have to come back and we'll do it again. And I mean that very seriously, tell people where they can find you, how they can connect with you all that stuff. Great. I don't do that much on social media, but women in crime podcasts, we have an Instagram you can go there. Direct Appeal, our other podcast season two will be, you know, coming out. So we'll probably be a little more active on that account. You know, we're on Twitter and Facebook. We have websites for both of our shows. And, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and I guess I'm I don't really do much of like Facebook or Instagram personally, but I talk to a lot of our listeners through DMs on the Women in Crime podcast account. So definitely reach out. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I will link everything up in the show notes. If people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Amy Schlossberg and you can get connected right to all those resources. Amy, thank you for being here. This was such a great conversation. I so appreciate you. And I am so grateful for the work that you're doing because I agree that I think there's hope, but it's going to require a lot of work. So thank you for how you're, for all the ways you're contributing to that. Same to you, Sarah. Thank you so much for everything. And thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the no guilt mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.